Well, let's turn to the Scriptures, to John chapter 14. We read verses 1 to 7, and then further on in the chapter, verses 25 to 27. John 14, 1 to 7, and then 25 to 27. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Verse 25, I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of heart and mind. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So do not be troubled or afraid. From the time of the fall, man's earliest history and his expulsion from the intimate presence of God in the garden, it seems as if the human story has been one of perpetual conflict the opening chapters of Genesis tell us about man's conflict with God, his conflict with his fellow man, and his inner conflict with himself. And that theme of conflict runs like a thread throughout the whole Bible from Genesis through to Revelation. There has never been a time in history when man has truly been at peace, and when peace and harmony has been characteristic of his relationships. And that will never happen until man recognizes the source of the problem that upsets peace and destroys peace. It will never happen until the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, returns to reign and to usher in his kingdom. In Jeremiah 6 and 14, we're warned to beware of leaders of any kind whose solution to the desire for peace disregards the spiritual root of the problem, sin. It may be in the interest of some leaders to encourage us to believe we'll find peace and prosperity through a rising sense of national pride and identity, through international legislation to create social equality in society, 
through an increase in public and personal uh, prosperity, through a commitment to establishing a secular society. But the gospel says it's in man's interest to discover the true way to experience peace. And that can only come when man confronts the issue of his own sinful nature and recognizes the righteousness that is required by a holy God before we can enter into genuine peace. God said in Jeremiah 23 and 16, Do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. They are making up everything they say. They do not speak for the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise my word, Don't worry. The Lord says you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say, no harm will come your way. Offering a superficial treatment for the problem of sin and suggesting that by our own efforts, we can experience peace. Jeremiah 6, 13 to 15, God says, From the least to the greatest, their lives are ruled by greed. From prophets to priests, they're all frauds. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. They, are they ashamed of their disgusting actions? Not at all. They don't even know how to blush. Superficial treatments for my people's mortal wounds. When the new millennium began, perhaps we were tempted to think that we might actually make some progress in life and be on the brink of a new age of peace, harmony, and prosperity. That was very quickly dispelled by September the 11th, by the London bombings, by the banking crisis, by the problems that have afflicted the economies of many countries, the, the, the desire for peace is there, but we seem to be drifting further and further away from peace in our world. Herbert Hoover, the American president of many years ago, said this, peace is not made in documents, but in the hearts of men. And Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? We all yearn for peace in our world today. Peace between nations. Peace in the workplace. Peace in our homes. Iraq and Syria yearn for peace. Israel and Palestine yearn for peace. Afghanistan yearns for peace. In his book, A Time to Heal, the former U.S. President Gerald Ford tells a story of how during the Civil War in Greece in 1948, a villager was planning to emigrate to the States. Before he left, he asked his neighbors, weary, beleaguered, poverty-stricken, what should I send you when I get to America? Should I send money, food, clothing? One of his neighbors replied, no, 
send us a ton of tranquility. Peace, something that the human heart yearns for. But the ingredients in every conflict that tears apart nations are the same ingredients that tear apart marriages, families, and churches. Shortly before his death, Elvis Presley said he would pay a million dollars for a week of a normal life of peace in which he'd be able to walk up and down the streets of Memphis without being harassed. million dollars for peace. People yearn for peace, but the sad fact is that often people are not willing to pay the price that peace demands. Peace is the scarlet pimpernel of the human experience. We seek it here, we seek it there, we seek peace everywhere, but peace can't be found until we recognize the simple truth that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the heart is deceitful, said Jeremiah, above all things. Man is at the mercy of his own sinful nature, and that sinful nature undermines and destroys peace. Jesus said, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And Paul, in graphic language, describes unredeemed human nature in these words in Romans 3, 10 to 18. No one is righteous, not even one. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Only when we acknowledge our sin, only when we turn in repentance to God, seeking forgiveness and salvation, can we be transformed by grace and enter into the peace that God promised, the peace that passes all human understanding. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, He brings salvation and He starts to produce within our lives the fruit of the Spirit, and Galatians 5.22 tells us the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace. So, what is the dictionary, what is the definition of peace? Well, one dictionary defines peace as the absence of anxiety caused by war or strife. It reflects a world's understanding of peace as something that's rooted in favorable circumstances. But that kind of peace doesn't go very deep, and it doesn't last very long. If your circumstances aren't so good, then that kind of peace disappears. But the biblical definition, in contrast to the world's definition, the biblical definition of peace is very different. The word in the Old Testament, Hebrew word, 
for peace is the word shalom. And shalom conveys the idea of rest. Joshua 14, 15 says, the land had shalom, the land had rest from war. And Jesus took up that idea of the shalom of God, the peace of God being rest, when He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, "'Come to Me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I will give you shalom. I will give you peace. Take My yoke upon you. Let Me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest. You will find shalom. You will find peace for your souls. It was doubtless with one eye on his own life's experience and the other on these words of Jesus talking about rest and peace that prompted St. Augustine to say, Thou hast made us for thyself, and the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in thee. We will never find rest and true peace until we find God in Jesus Christ, His well-beloved Son, the one who came to reveal God to us and the one who came to give us shalom, to give us peace, to give us what the world can't give us. So, the Old Testament word in the Hebrew, shalom, conveys the idea of rest, but that word also conveys the idea of completeness. Now, you've, John Greenshields has taken you through the story of, of Ruth, and you'll remember Naomi, after the death of her son, saying to her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord bless you with shalom, the security of another marriage. And here, shalom means completeness. Our lives are never complete until our lives are rooted and fixed in God. We are incomplete beings outside of Jesus Christ. But in Christ, we become complete because we receive the shalom of God. Peace, we become complete. And shalom also conveys the idea of security. David says in Psalm 4, verse 8, in peace, in shalom, I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. So, we're only safe when we are in Christ. We're only safe when our lives are hid with Christ in God, and only in that situation can we experience God's shalom, His peace in our lives day by day. That's the definition of peace in the Hebrew word shalom. But the Greek word for peace 
is irene, and the root of this word means to join, to set at one. It tells us that biblical peace comes when our lives are lived in harmony with God. Peace is the spiritual fruit that develops when we consciously make the choice to trust God in all the circumstances of life. Isaiah 26, verse 3, that wonderful verse, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. We may not be able to understand or explain the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We may not be able to understand or explain the will and the purposes of God in and through these circumstances, but peace comes when we joyfully accept the truth that Paul said in Romans 8, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Robert Shackelford, lecturer at Moody Bible Institute, said this, God's peace is a state of inner serenity, the comfortable feeling that all is well with my soul. Peace, no matter what is happening, peace to know that all is well. All is well with my soul. Of course, you know the story of that great hymn, when peace like a river attendeth my way. Horatio Spafford, his wife and family were traveling across the Atlantic uh, in a liner, the end of, last se- of the 19th century, and, and the ship sank, and his wife and his daughters uh, were drowned. And in the midst of that awful situation and the horror of that, he wrote that wonderful hymn, When Peace Like a River Attendeth My Way. And he was able to say in one of the verses, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed His own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. So, to compare peace from the world's perspective and from the biblical perspective is to see a stark contrast. The world's peace depends on good and favorable circumstances. God's peace exists despite the circumstances and endures in the face of incredibly hard situations because that peace is anchored in God Himself, and that peace reflects the very nature of the Almighty. So, the definition of peace, shalom, rest, completeness, security, and in the Greek, arene, the assurance that all is well, all is well. Then we see the source of peace. The spiritual fruit of peace is not something we are born with naturally. It has nothing to do with our temperament or our personality. 
It's something that's given to us supernaturally, and it's produced in our lives by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Its source is Jesus Himself. The peace that is produced within us through the Spirit is Jesus' own peace. There's a, a lovely uh, little poem by Annie Johnson Flint that points to that. I look not inward, that would make me wretched. For I have naught on which to stay my trust, nothing I see but failures and shortcomings and weak endeavors crumbling into dust. But I look up into the face of Jesus, for there my heart can rest my fears are stilled, and there is joy and love and light for darkness, and perfect peace, and every hope fulfilled. The source of peace is not to be found within us naturally. It's not to be found in any other person or place except to be found in Jesus Christ Himself. Peter, speaking to Cornelius and all that were gathered to hear the gospel expounded in his home, said in Acts 10.36, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. And only when we receive Jesus Christ by faith into our hearts as our personal Savior, will we experience peace? Because as Isaiah 9, 6 reminds us, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So, peace with God brings salvation. Colossians 1, 21 confirms that we are all in a state, naturally, of hostility toward God because of our sin. You were once far away from God, says Paul. You were His enemies. You were separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. But in His grace and mercy, God's made it possible for peace to be declared. We have come to a state of peace because Jesus has died on the cross. He has paid the penalty for our sin. We have been forgiven, and we have been reconciled, and we have entered into His peace, peace with God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14, Christ Himself has brought peace to us. Romans 5.1, since we've been made right in God's sight, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Dr. Jim Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this, there is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with a full assurance that they have known God and God has known them, and that this relationship guarantees them God's favor in life, through death, and on forever. Is that where you are this morning? Do you have that peace? Because you know God, and you know that He knows you, and that together you are experiencing that life that is abundant. Peace with God 
brings salvation, and peace with God brings security. In Romans 8, 1, Paul says there's no condemnation anymore for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. No need to be anxious or worried about the judgment, because Jesus has paid the penalty, the price is paid, and we have been set free to enter into a relationship with God through Christ that is characterized by perfect peace. God's wiped out the past, and He's brought us into the present where we are totally secure in His love and therefore able to enjoy His peace. Jesus says in John 10, 17, My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me. He's more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one now. There's security. You are being held this morning as a believer in God's hand. No one can pluck you from His hand. There is absolute security because you have put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are secure and therefore able to enjoy perfect peace and not be worried about the day when God returns to judge the world. So, we have the definition of peace, we have the source of peace, and finally, we have the characteristics of peace. How does that peace practically work itself out in our lives? Well, first of all, by giving us peace in the midst of life's storms. There are two paintings in an art gallery in Florence, and in one of the paint, in both paintings, they depict incredible storms. The sea is in turmoil. The lightning is flashing across the sea. And in one picture, you just see the terrified face of a drowning man. In the other picture, same scene, sea in turmoil, and there's a rock. And there in the rock... In the cleft of the rock sits a little bird on its nest, and the storm is beating all around it, and the little bird is perfectly at peace, sheltered, protected. The storm isn't touching it in any way. In Song of Songs 2 and verse 14, we're told that everyone who is loved by the bridegroom is really like that little bird, finds in the bridegroom, in Jesus Christ, peace and security. And the phrase in Song of Songs 2.14 is, in the clefts of the rock. You know the old gospel hymn, I'm sure. He hideth my soul 
in the cleft of the rock. The New Century Version translates it, My beloved is like a dove hiding in the cracks of the rock in the secret places of the cliff. Peace in the midst of life's storms. And that's how the peace of God works itself out in our lives because we have the shalom of God, because we know all is well with our souls, we have peace in the midst of life's storms and peace in the midst of life's sorrows. Jesus, even in the midst of all His suffering, demonstrated that incredible peace that He gave as a gift to those who believe and trust and follow Him. And no matter the sorrows that we face in life, no matter the difficulties, that gift of peace is the legacy that Jesus has given to every believer. Don't let your hearts be troubled, we read together in John 14. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I'm leaving you with a gift, a peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. It's not character and it's not temperament that carries us through times of trial and sorrow. It's only the peace of God. As the old hymn says, the hymn writer with one kind of eye on Isaiah 43 and the wonderful verses there wrote this, when through the deep waters He calls you to go. The rivers of grief shall not thee overflow. For I will be with you in sorrow to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Peace in the midst of life's storms. Peace in the midst of life's sorrows. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace. That's Jesus' gift to every believer this morning, to you, to me. So as Paul says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Father, may your amazing peace, the gift of the Lord Jesus to each one of us, be our experience not only today, but tomorrow and for all of our tomorrows. May your peace be grown within us and developed within us by your Holy Spirit 
so that we might be able to share that peace with everyone we meet. We ask this in Jesus' name.